you would, turn to Second Peter. We're stepping away from the Gospel of Luke for a couple of months to look at a passage of Scripture found in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 15. You can also, once you find Second Peter chapter 1, you can uh, go to First John and put your finger there because we're going to go there as well this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that message because it introduced this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at uh, over the next several weeks. But I want us to read through it right now again to refresh our memories so that we can see where we're going and hopefully how we're going to get there. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse number 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Verse number 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Verse number 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Now, just a reminder from last week, Peter's goal was to pound the truths of this passage of Scripture into the church with the remainder of his earthly days. And what he taught them in this passage of Scripture was that God has provided them, he's provided us with everything that we need for life and godliness, along with precious and magnificent promises so that we can be partakers of the divine nature. And because of these great graces, he's telling the church to apply all diligence in their faith walk to supply their faith or out of their faith moral excellence, to add to their faith moral excellence, to add to their moral excellence knowledge and on and on and on. And if these qualities become yours, and if these qualities are increasing, he says we will never be, we will not be useless, we will not be unfruitful, 
We will not be blind or short-sighted. We won't be at risk of falling away from the faith. And we will have the kingdom supplied abundantly to us. Now, when I read those kind of promises that come along with this passage of Scripture, when I read those kind of guarantees that come along with a passage of Scripture like this, I want to hone in on those qualities that God has provided us. I want us to think about the progression of those qualities. I want us to think about the presence of those qualities in our life. Are they there? Are they increasing? This is a pathway to discipleship, a pathway to maturity. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to take each one of these qualities that Peter lists for us in verses 5 through 7, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. We're going to take those qualities that he lists for us and we're going to look at them one by one. So we're going to do kind of a topical study of each of these qualities, but don't think that it's going to be topical in the sense of we're coming up with our own, our own context here. We're going to look at each one of these and we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. So it's going to be very, very expositional as we take each one of these. That's why I want you to turn to 1 John. I want you to turn to 1 John in chapter 5 this morning. And I hope if you have the, the, the sermon notes open on the app, this is going to save you a lot of, of grief. If you do not have the sermon, op- sermon app open and the notes open there in the app, then you just need to hold on tight. Because we're going to look at this first, this first quality that Peter gives us, and it's the quality of faith. And we're going to look at faith and what saving faith looks like throughout 1 John. Now, Peter assumes that faith is present as he begins his progression of qualities. Add to your faith moral excellence. Or let your faith be supplemented with moral excellence. Faith is absolutely foundational to the Christian life. Faith is absolutely foundational to our discipleship. Faith is absolutely foundational to our spiritual maturity to everything else that is listed here so i'm not going to assume that everybody here has saving biblical faith you know that is a danger of the american church we assume everybody's a christian unless they prove without a shadow of a doubt that they're not and we should be assuming everyone is a non-christian until they prove that they are so we're not going to assume that anybody under the sound of my voice this morning, either here or online, has faith. Since faith is the foundation, we need to determine this morning, before we move on, move on if we have a true, biblical, saving, fruit-producing faith. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse number 13, John tells us the reason he wrote this little letter. And, and, he, and we looked at this letter a couple of years ago, shortly after I came here. So I'm going to give you a systematic overview of this whole book this morning. But 1 John 5, 13, he tells us why, why he wrote the letter. 1 John 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Why did John write this little five-chapter letter to the church? Because he wants them to know that, yes, even though they say they believe, he wants them to know that they have eternal life. He wants them to know that they have saving faith, biblical faith, a faith that can be built upon, a faith that can be matured, a faith that can 
can be supplemented with moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. So John has written his letter to those who profess to believe in the name of the Son of God so that they can know whether or not they have biblical saving faith. Now there's seven questions that we can ask ourselves from 1 John. We saw this a couple of years ago, but there's seven questions we can ask ourselves from 1 John to help us know if we truly have a saving faith. So if you showed up here this morning with a shadow of a doubt about where you stand with Jesus Christ, you wonder, do I really have saving faith? You need to answer these seven questions honestly, these questions that are coming straight from the Scriptures that were written to help us know that we have eternal life. You need to ask yourself these questions, answer these questions this morning, and by the end of this message, you will know, based on the Scriptures, whether or not you have true biblical saving faith. Does that make sense? Question number one. Am I living a life that is characterized by confessing Christ and embracing the gospel? Am I living a life that is characterized by confessing Christ and embracing the gospel? In 1 John 2, in verse 23... John writes, the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And if you were to go to Romans chapter 10, and you were to look at that passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote, he tells us in Romans chapter 10, in verse number 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a confession that is necessary, a confessing of Christ, an embracing of the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried, and that he rose from the grave on Sunday morning according to the scriptures and that he was seen by many. 1 John four fifteen. whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever believes, 1 John 5, 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Are you living a life that is characterized by confessing Christ and by embracing the gospel message? And the gospel message is simply this. God is perfectly 100% holy. And His standard for all of us is perfect holiness. The problem is, none of us, not one of us, is holy. We have all sinned, and we have all fallen short of the glorious standard of Almighty God. And the wages of our sin, the payment for our sin, is death, physical death, and eternal death. But God, Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, a thing to be grasped, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross where he took your sin upon himself. He took my sin upon himself. And the Father judged our sin in Jesus on the cross until he, was, he said it is finished, gave up his spirit, 
died and was buried in a barred tomb. But on Sunday morning, God the Father resurrected Jesus bodily from the grave. And he has exalted him now. And he's given him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is holy. We're not holy. But Jesus Christ, through the work of the gospel, came to make us holy. And you this morning can be made holy if you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the master of your life. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Have you, are you living a life that is characterized by confessing Christ and by embracing the gospel message? That's the first question. The second question is, am I living a life characterized by righteousness? Now, we're going to spend a little time here, so just hold on. But we need to spend some time here. Because we have become guilty of embracing and propagating a false gospel of easy believism. Where all you need to do is get a little butterfly in your tummy during the, during the last song. Walk down the aisle. Repeat a prayer. Fill out a card. Get baptized. Join the church. And then live like the devil the rest of your life. You're good to go. Once saved, always saved. Thank God that once you're saved, you're always saved. But we better make well sure that we're really saved. Because it's not. Once you walk down an aisle and recite some magic words, you're saved. But it's once you're saved, you're saved. And when we are saved, righteousness, righteousness happens. We are made, we are made practically righteous just as we have been declared righteous through the work of Christ. We're made practically righteous in our lives through sanctification. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Now listen to the Bible, Baptist. Let's listen to the Bible. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. So you, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and you walk in darkness. You live like the devil. Guess what? It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It means you're lying about your salvation. And you do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, by this we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Well, you just don't understand. I've got my baptism certificate framed and on my wall. By this we know that we've come to know him. If we have our baptism certificate framed and on my wall. If, 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 I, if I have that card I filled out at the crusade. If I remember that time I walked down the aisle. No. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We don't come to know him by keeping his commandments. But we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a what? A liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. People, I did not write this. The Holy Spirit of God wrote this through the pen of the Apostle John. We can't argue with this. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know as well as I do, the Bible Belt is full of people who said at some point, whether it was at five years old at vacation Bible school, at 40 years old at heaven's gates and hell's flames, or at 60 years old at the revival, who said, yes, Jesus is Lord. But Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Jesus is Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. 1 John 3.7-10, little children, make sure no one deceives you. And I'm going to tell you right now, without apology, this may get me in trouble later, but I stay in trouble, so nothing new. There's a lot of Baptist preachers who have led people in a prayer without even having an understanding of the gospel, number one. They don't even hardly understand the gospel. They lead them in a prayer. They take them by the hand, and they say, Now, if you meant that prayer in your heart of heart of heart of heart of hearts, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. And I want you to know that, my friend, is being deceived because that's not what the Bible says. I'm going to stand before Jesus and say, well, Jesus, I believed in my heart of heart of heart of heart of hearts that when I prayed that prayer, word for word, after the preacher, that everything was going to be good. Did you understand the gospel? No. Did you believe the gospel? I guess so. Did you have any kind of life transformation? Not really. Did you live in righteousness? No. I just did what the preacher told me. Make sure, listen to me, make sure no one deceives you. Get it from the word. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Sin. Jesus did not come to save us from hell. Jesus came to save us from our sin. His name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? Sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil are sin. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. Now notice that John puts the emphasis in these verses on practice. He's practicing righteousness. He's practicing sin. That tells us that if we say that we have not sinned, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we will confess our sins, if we'll see our sin as he does, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Don't think that becoming a Christian means you're not going to sin anymore. All we have to do is find your wife or your husband and they will make it known to everyone that you are still a sinner. And that I'm still a sinner. The question here is not, do you battle sin? 
But the question is, are you practicing sin or are you practicing righteousness? Are you characterized by sin or are you characterized by righteousness? If we have eternal life, those around us will know it by our practice, by our lifestyle, by our righteousness. This is not unique to John. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you get in Jesus, he takes out your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. When you get in Jesus, the things you once desired, you now no longer desire. And the things you once despised, you now love. You have a heart transformation. One more passage of scripture, just so you know that I'm telling you the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. If you fit, if you fit in any of those categories this morning, fornicator, idolater, adulterer, effeminate, homosexual, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, You will not inherit the kingdom of God based on the word of God. But you can, you can find yourself not in the present tense, one of these things, but in the past tense, one of these things. And then the Bible will say to you, such were some of you. Not such are some of you, but such were some of you. But you were washed. You can be washed this morning. You were sanctified. You can be sanctified this morning. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be justified this morning in the name of Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. But do not be deceived. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. And the one who does not practice righteousness is not righteous. So ask yourself, are you living a life that is characterized by confessing Christ and embracing the gospel? Are you living a life characterized by righteousness? Number three. Are you living a life characterized by love? Again, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3.10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, which we just saw, is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him 
We know that we're to love people. But the emphasis of these scriptures is specifically to love our brethren. To love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The ones that Jesus has shed his blood for and redeemed. There needs to be a special kind of love there, folks. Yes, we need to love the lost. Yes, we need to love the unreached. Yes, we need to love sinners. But there needs to be a special love among those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how you can fly thousands of miles, get off a plane in a country you've never been to, walk into a village you've never been to, and encounter someone you've never met before who's a believer, and immediately there will be a fellowship. Immediately, even though there's a language barrier, there will be a mutual love. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you and in that person, and though you don't speak the same language, though you don't live in the same community or in the same country or in the time, same time zone, and you've never met anyone before, the love of God is in, is in both of you, and it brings you together in an amazing way. It should do the same thing here. And I'm going to tell you something. As this, as this country continues its slip and slide into secularism and postmodernism and antichrist thought right before our eyes the day's coming the day is coming when believers are going to recognize each other way quicker and we're going to appreciate each other way more oh i disagree with you on this little mild point here we used to fight over that but now i'm just thankful to god that we have each other love the brethren love the brethren first john 4 7 and 8 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Are you living a life characterized by love? Fourth, are you living a life of increased loyalty to God? Now listen to this one. Some of you may be thinking, I'm I'm doing real good here because, you know, I I, I embrace the gospel, I confess Jesus, I'm living a, a, a squeaky clean life. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't hang around with people who do. I'm, I'm, I'm way above everybody else. I love everybody. I'm at church all the time. I love, I love my fellow believers. But we need to ask ourselves as we find ourselves in this culture in the 21st century, am I living a life of increased loyalty to God and increased separation from the world? Now we, we look around us and here's what churches are doing. Here's what churches and pastors are doing. They're looking at the world and they're saying, how close can we get to the world without stepping over the line? I mean, this is what the world wants. This is what the world desires. This is what turns the world's wheels and makes them excited. So how close can we get to the world without crossing the line? And man, I'm going to tell you, you can pack a place out. You can pack a place out when you give them everything their sinful heart desires and a minimal dose of the word. 
So how close can we get to the world without stepping over the line? And here's what God's asking the church. Why on earth would you want to get that close to the line? Let's forget stepping over it. Why are you so comfortable and happy to hug the line? We ought to be characterized by an increased loyalty to God and an increased separation from the world. And if you're not getting weirder and weirder, you need to check up on where you are with Jesus. You ought to be getting weirder and weirder, stranger and stranger. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says this. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Pay attention. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. John makes it extremely clear that anyone who loves the world does not love God. And does not have the love of the Father in him. If we are people, listen carefully, if we are people who find our hearts inclined towards the world. Or the things found in the world then we need to do a very careful examination this morning. As children of God who will live forever, who have an eternal kingdom perspective, we should not be characterized by getting caught up in and preoccupied with the world and the things that the world finds joy in. 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Not join the world, not be like the world, not look like the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, what do your priorities say about you? Are you on a worldly trajectory or are you on a godly trajectory? When a third party steps back and looks at you, do they see someone born of God overcoming the world by faith? Or do they see one who is joining with the rest of the world in the things that you do and the things that you are listening to and the things that you are watching on the television and the movie screen, the things you spend your money on, the way you spend your time and the way you're thinking? What does a third party see? Are you living a life of increased loyalty to God and increased separation from the world? Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Am I living a life of increased loyalty to God and increased separation from the world? Number five, am I living a life of steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. First John 2.19 says they went out from us. That means that they were people who claimed to be believers, who claimed to know Christ, who came into the fellowship of the believers, who then left the fellowship of believers. Not talking about leaving the church and going down the road to the other one. We swap sheep all the time. It's sad, but it's true. He's talking about people who have walked away from the fellowship altogether. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out that it would be shown 
that they all are not of us. You know what John's telling us? True believers do not walk away from the faith. True believers are characterized by steadfastness. True believers are characterized by perseverance. True believers are characterized by endurance. Now, does this mean that you don't have some downtime, some low times, some depressing times, some despairing times, some weak times? We can, we can stumble into the slew of despond pretty easily, can we not? But let me tell you, if we are true Christians, when we stumble into the slew of despond, help will be there to eventually pull us out and put us back on the path. True believers don't fall away permanently. Luke 9, 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. 1 John 2, 24, as for you, let that abide in you, remain in you, which you heard from the beginning. Persevere, steadfastness. Number six, does the Spirit of God reside in us? Do we have the Son, the Spirit of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit in us? Again, these are all things that John wrote in this little letter to help us know that we have eternal life. In 1 John 3, 24, he says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 4, 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Do you have the Son of God, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you? If you know Christ, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, living in you, and through you. This is not referring to a peaceful, easy feeling. When the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, it means that He's present in us, convicting us, dis disciplining us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, assuring us, correcting us. Is the Holy Spirit in you to even give you a check when you happily and joyfully watch the trash on the television that others watch? Oh, because it's entertainment. Is there even a check in you? When every single time you get a pay, a pay raise, you increase your standard of living. I mean, I worked for it. Is there even a check in you? When you begin to slip and to fall into the wrong crowds and the wrong way of thinking. If the Holy Spirit of God is in you, He will convict you when you begin to step out of line. And if you are His child and you keep going out of line, He will correct you and He will discipline you and He will crush you if necessary. Well, that's not very nice. It's not very nice, but the Holy Spirit and God is not most interested in our happiness here this morning. He's most interested in our holiness here this morning. And He will do whatever He has to do for His children to bring us safely home. And we should be thankful for that. Is he in you? Lastly, number seven. This is the one you've been waiting on, right? The last one. Do we listen to the word of God? 
I ended with this one on purpose. Because if you noticed, I haven't given a whole lot of commentary. I've just given a lot of the Word of God. 1 John 4, 6 says, We are from God. He's talking about himself here. John, the apostles. We're from God. He who knows God listens to us. Now, what did us give us here this morning? What did John and the apostles give us here this morning? They gave us the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God inspired these men to write for us, to pass down to us the truth of God. And John's saying, we, the apostles, are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So if we're going to listen to the apostles, it means that we listen to the word. We listen to the word of God. And we need to ask ourselves, are we listening to the scriptures here this morning? This is the essence of being a disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. We rightly listen to and obey the scriptures. And when we rightly listen to and obey the scriptures, we obey all that he's commanded. We become his disciples. Are you listening to the scriptures? Is it a part of your life? Is it your regular routine? What does the word of God say about you? What does the word of God say about your faith this morning? I'm not asking you what your heart says. Well, my heart tells me, well, my Bible tells me that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can trust them? I'm not asking you what your heart's saying. I'm not asking you what your tradition is saying. Well, this is the way it's always been here. It's the way my mama believed, my grandma believed, my grandpa believed. This is the way it's always been. It's the way the preacher told me before when I was a kid, and, and that's the way it's... I'm not asking you about your tradition. I'm not asking you about your parents. I'm not asking you about your denomination. I'm not asking you about your Sunday school teacher. I don't want to know what any of those things say about your faith or any of those people say about your faith. I want to know what does the Word of God Say about your faith. And here's what the word of God says about your faith. Listen carefully. If you are not living a life characterized by confessing Jesus Christ and embracing the gospel, you're not a child of God. The word of God says that if you're not living a life that is characterized by righteousness, you're not a child of God. The word of God says if you are living a life that is not characterized by love, you're not a child of God. The Bible says that if you are not living a life of increased loyalty to God and increased separation from the world, you're not a child of God. It says that if you are not living a steadfast, persevering, and enduring life, spiritual life, you're not a child of God. The Bible says that if the Spirit of God doesn't reside in you, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are not a child of God. That's what the Bible says. Now, you've got to decide this morning, are you going to listen to the Word and what the Word of God clearly, plainly says to you? Are you going to hang on to everything you hold dear that you've held on to your whole life that hasn't made a lick of difference in who you are? If we're going to build... With the rest of these qualities in 2 Peter, we have to make sure that this quality is in place. That we have a biblical saving faith. If we don't have a biblical saving faith, we can't move on to spiritual maturity. And some of you this morning, you ask yourself those seven questions. And you know deep down in your heart that you are not giving evidence that you have saving 
faith. You are not giving evidence that you are a child of God. And the, rather than resisting that this morning, what you need to do is rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in your place and died a sinner's death in your place so that you here this morning could repent of your sin and put your faith and your trust in Him and drive down a peg of faith this morning and move forward in your walk with Christ. Stop looking back and holding on to the past and look to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Fall upon your face in repentance and fall upon the hem of His garment in hope and in faith and call upon His name until He gives you assurance that you have truly been revolutionized by the power of His gospel message. Do you have faith if not we want to pray for you this morning that God would bring you to himself would you bow with me with your heads bowed I want you to think about those seven questions and I know it may have felt like drinking from a fire hose But I want you to think about those seven questions and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you whether or not you have truly been transformed by the power of the gospel. And if you have question about that, you need counsel, you need direction, you need someone to talk to, somebody to pray with you, our pastors are going to be up around the fountain mingling as you're being dismissed. If you need someone to talk with about anything, you need someone to pray with you about anything or you want to talk more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As the rest of us are dismissed and are hanging out and fellowshipping, you come and you talk to one of those men, they'll be glad to pray with you to point you to Jesus. We're going to pray for you now. And after we pray, you'll be dismissed. You can leave your offering in the buckets. You can hang out and you can fellowship. We thank you for being with us this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your gospel. I pray that your word has penetrated our hearts and shown us whether or not we truly know you this morning, given us a, a, an opportunity through the help of your spirit 